Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Okay. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. I have to tell you, I have, uh, I have, I have COVID actually, but I've had it this week. I'm kind of, I'm kind of on the mend, but I've been completely out of it this week. Uh, spent a couple of nights just sort of um, spinning. And, um, and I have to tell you that, uh, you know, you think sometimes, oh, well, I'm sick, at least I'll just stay at home and read and whatever I want, you know, but the truth is, your brain doesn't work. And I, um, you know, I like I, after a few days of that, I feel like starved for Torah, I really feel like I, you know, like I'm not myself, unless I'm, um, I'm looking at these, um, these stories. So I, I really, you know, I feel that in a deep way. And I started to clear up uh, uh, yesterday and started to prepare for this class and it felt like um, it felt like the life force was coming back into me so I, I um, I'm grateful to, to have a I have, have a brain a working brain again and grateful to have a Torah to to uh, to apply it to um, you know I was talking to to Matt Matt uh, Silverstein about this he was checking in on me and Matt and and, and Matt said so you're gonna have class this week and I said yeah, I, although I don't know like, what's going to come out because I've like, you know, have this mushy brain. Um, uh, and Matt said, well, we'll just see what happens. You know, Matt said he, he, he was willing to, to, to ride with me. But the truth is, then I said, we're, it doesn't really matter. We can't go wrong because this week we begin the Joseph story. And you just can't go wrong. Once, once, we, once we start the Joseph story, it's like the the um the 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 joy and the excitement of of Torah kind of takes on a, a life of its own. You don't have to do anything almost to to make it good. It's just so good. The the Joseph story is really the great epic of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis itself is like the great epic of our tradition, but the story of Joseph once it starts it doesn't stop. It takes us all the way through to the book of Genesis. And um, 
And someone once told me, and I realized it's true, and now I say it every year, that it is the longest continuous running narrative in the book of Genesis, right? I mean, um, the whole of Genesis is a story that that is woven together, but it's woven together of many stories. The Joseph story starts this week and just takes us all the way through to the end. And um, it, there's a great way of, there's a great uh, phrase from the books of prophets, a great way of, of thinking about the power of the Joseph story um, that I want to start with today. And that is, um, that is from the, the, the prophet Ovadia, one of the, one of the, one of the books of the prophets. And it's this line right here from the prophet Ovadia um, that, uh, the house of Jacob shall be fire. Uvet Yosef lehava, and the house of Joseph flame. Uvet Esav lekash, and the house of Esau shall be straw. V'dalku v'hem v'achalum v'lo yesarid levet Esav ki Hashem diber. And they shall burn it and devour it, and no survivor shall be left of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Now, what that means in the context of the book of 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 Avadia itself, we'll leave for another time, but it's just the imagery of the house of Joseph is the flame which, which, which lights, which carries the, the fire of the house of Jacob. So just um, before we dive into the material, I just want to show you how Rashi uses this line here and, um, and, and sort of drops it in um, to the story. Um, this, is, this is now from um, two weeks ago, when Rachel gave birth to Joseph, the moment that Joseph comes onto the scene, take a look here what Rashi does, and it, he's borrowing this from the Midrash, but it's it's a beautiful insertion of this, this imagery into the story. Um, when Rachel gave birth to Joseph, um, Rashi says, Mishinolad satano shel Esav, when Esau, Esau's adversary was born. Now, that doesn't quite make sense because Jacob is Esau's adversary, but it is as if Joseph adds power to, J to Jacob and, and now becomes, like the next generation becomes the, <laughs> the true defender of the, the house of Jacob. As it is said, and here's that, that line from Avadia, the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house, so there's a typo there, and the house um, of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau shall be straw. So there's something about Joseph, Rashi continues, um, there's something about Joseph that is going to draw out the flame. And Rashi says, fire that has no flame has no effect at a distance. Therefore, when Joseph was born, then Jacob could trust the Holy Blessed One. And so he wished to return home. So it's kind of a clever thing here that the Midrash and then Rashi does here by taking this line which has its own imagery and then kind of inserting it into the story as if to say it's when Joseph is born that the house of Jacob truly comes into its its fiery fullness and that's why at the moment and it's this is true in the narrative at the moment that Joseph is born Jacob suddenly says okay I'm ready to go back and going back will mean facing Esau facing his past facing all of the tension that has formed his life. For some reason, the idea here is that Joseph and the power of Joseph arriving on the scene, it kind of, it, it, erupt, it, it, it erupts everything. It, it, it inflames everything. It's, it is the spark which drives the rest of the narrative. 
So it's a kind of a clever use of the image. It's a, a beautiful image from the from the prophet Ovadia, but it it is it make it makes a particular point in the narrative. But it, but I wanted to start with it today to make the point that indeed Joseph is kind of the spark that is now going to that is now going to spread fire through the rest of this book. Okay, and our question um, today is going to be um, pretty basic, which is what what was it about Joseph? What was it about Joseph that, you know, we have these famous patriarchs and matriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but why, but Joseph actually takes more story than any of them. And Joseph um, is going to be the figure that we have our eyes on for the rest of the book of Genesis. So that's, so that's what we'll be contending with today. I see my mother has a hand raised. Good question. So my mom's asking, is that, wait, I don't understand. Is the house of Jacob and the house of Joseph are they different houses? What's the meaning there? Like it, they, it seems like they they should be part of the same house. So why is there a house of Joseph? And I think it's it's a good question because yes, that's the point is that Joseph is like the extension of Jacob's house, but also a kind of a house unto himself because his life is different from Jacob's. He's separated from Jacob's. He has his own story, and he is responsible for moving our story forward in a way that gives him kind of his own ident identity, even though he's not the fourth um, patriarch. Right? All of Jacob's sons and, and, and one daughter are included in the, in the covenant. So, you know, in some ways, Joseph is not a new patriarch or a new house. But in other ways, we'll see Joseph is something new altogether, okay? Another question? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So the the idea is that uh, Jacob's has the um, the fire, but it's it's not full fire. It's only in potential. And then Joseph is like the spark that creates a bigger fire. And then like, whatever they're fighting in the world, that's Esau's house and it's devoured. So there's something about Joseph, the, the meaning of that, of that image is that there's something about Joseph that will win the day. Like there's been a battle since, I don't know, the days of, of Cain and Abel, right? Like brothers fighting and fighting and fighting. And that will be the point of, or well, that will be the, the starting point for the Joseph story as well, as brothers fighting and fighting and fighting something about Joseph will solve the problem or win the battle or will figure something out that we haven't figured out yet in the story. Okay. All right. So, um, um, okay. So now we're going to make a, uh, a blessing and we'll begin. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu v'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. So just uh, thanking God for Torah and, um, and, and praying for Torah to be a force of healing uh, in our world. I certainly need some healing this week. So anyone who's in need of healing, I hope our, our Torah study is a healing for you today. Okay. All right. So let's begin. Let's take a look now at, um, at Joseph, at what, what it was about Joseph. And I want to, I want to, what we're going to be searching for today is Joseph's charm 
Joseph's what what is it about Joseph that um that allowed him to rise in the way that he he rose and to command the kind of power that he commanded and 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 one way to ask that question is just what what was it about Joseph what what was it that drew people to Joseph what was it about Joseph that we are drawn to but that even the characters in the Torah are drawn to but some of you may already be thinking, well, Joseph is not charming. Joseph is a brat. Isn't Joseph a brat? Don't we often talk about Joseph as a brat? And we do, and with good reason. But I think, I think sometimes, you know, the tendency whenever we're reading a story in the Torah is to, you know, we read carefully so we get caught up in the first part of the story. Sometimes we never get away from that. And I think we make that mistake with Joseph because it's true that the beginning of the Joseph story presents us with a, a Joseph that is, is not so likable. Joseph is kind of famously a bratty teen. And, um, and you, might, you might describe him as unlikable, even, even obnoxious. There's something about Joseph that almost seems socially a little off. And so let's take a look at that because then I want to, I want to provide a sharp contrast with all of the other Josephs that we see in our story. But let's start. Let's start there. So um, this is this is the famous beginning of the Joseph story, um, where we learn that. Well, actually, the first thing we learn is that Joseph is uh, beloved by his father, but in a problematic way. Israel ahavet Yosef mikol Israel, um, or Israel, another name for Jacob there, loved Joseph best of all his sons. Okay, that, that's already, uh-oh, that's trouble. All right, like the favoritism here is not, not, gonna, not gonna play out well. And one wonders how, how much of Joseph's troubles are actually Jacob's fault. But, but be that as it may, uh, Israel did love Joseph best and that, that in itself is part of our conversation today. There's the first person to be enamored of Joseph, but um, what, but but we remember that that um, therefore Joseph's brothers hate him. So Israel loved him, and then when his brothers saw vayisnuotu, and then they 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 hated him, they hated him. So they couldn't speak a friendly word to them. And then, now this is really a remarkable thing. Just keep your eyes on this because there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful little um, uh, uh, almost like poetic move here, which describes the brothers continuing to hate him and continuing to hate him more and more. And the language for them continuing to hate him, as he tells, as Joseph um Joseph tells these brothers that he has dreams, and in the dreams, they all seem to be submitting to him. Here's, here's the dream. Here, this dream which I've dreamed, we were there we were binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up and remained upright, and then your sheaves gathered around and bow low, bowed low to my sheaf. Well, they don't like these dreams, okay? But let me just point your attention to like, uh, they hated him even more, it says, the language in Hebrew for even more is vayosifu. 
Vayosifu, even more, they hated him. And that, that language repeats again. And they hated him even more. Vayosifu, od snow oto. Vayosifu. So I hope you can hear, I'm, re I'm repeating it again and again, because the Torah is playing with that language. Because uh, even more, Vayosifu is the language of Yosef, right? Yosef, same language, because Yosef's name means, may God, Rachel named Joseph, um, sort of strangely, may God grant me another son after this. Yosef Hashem ben Acher, may God add another son for me, okay? So you, the Torah is, is not just emphasizing how much his brothers hated him, but they, it's almost like they, 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 they really, Joseph hated him. Like there's something about him that, that drew out their hate, okay? There's like the, the language of more and more and more hatred is woven into Joseph's name, woven into Joseph's being, okay? That's quite... That's quite a striking start. So no wonder we often remember Joseph as the obnoxious, hated brother who has to somehow, you know, change himself in order to become beloved again. But, and here our story really begins today. That's true in the beginning of the story. And it's true, he's hated enough that he's, that he's gonna be captured and thrown into a pit. Okay, and sold into slavery by his own brothers. That's, that's how the story begins. But just remember that all of that happens when Joseph is a teenager, okay? So let's like have a little compassion here for what it might mean for Joseph to be a bit of a brat in those days. Because jo by the time we see Joseph arrive in Israel, it, it, everything seems to change. His fortune changes immediately and significantly, and this is what we'll be looking at today, the way that other people see Joseph is suddenly very different. All of the hating is gone, and instead, Joseph becomes again and again and again this incredibly attractive figure in all kinds of ways, okay? So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's take a look. The first Instance of that, when Joseph is brought down to Egypt, is um, that he is sold into slavery to Potiphar. And let's take a look at what happens in Potiphar's house, who Potiphar is and what happens in Potiphar's house, because there's a little pattern here that gets kind of mapped out and then will replay itself again and again and again in Joseph's life. And we're going to try to make some sense of that pattern today. So let's take a look here. This is the beginning of chapter 39, when Joseph was taken down to Egypt, okay? When Joseph was taken down to Egypt and acquired by Potiphar, and who was Potiphar? Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's eunuchs. By the way, you know, this is the language here. It was uh, Saris Parel. And very often the, the translations are that he was an official, Oh, uh, he was a sort of a servant of Pharaoh. I think the language of him being a eunuch is significant because it will do some work in explaining later why his, his wife seems uh, sexually unsatisfied, okay? Because I, don't, I, th I think that the, that the Torah is hinting to us that Potiphar was not a fully functioning um, uh, male body. 
there, okay? So he was the eunuch and he was the chief butcher and a, an Egyptian man, okay? He bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. His brothers sold him off to these Ishmaelites who brought him down to Egypt, okay? And now, and now begins some of the, the, the pattern that I want us to, to, really, to really try to uh, pay attention to and make sense of today. Vayhi Hashem et Yosef. The Eternal was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. Vayhi ish matzliach. And he was a successful man. And he stayed in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Eternal was with him, and that the Eternal lent success to everything he undertook. Okay, that's important. So God was with Joseph, and Joseph was successful. And Vayaradonav ki Hashemito. And then his master saw that, that God was with him. And everything that Joseph did, God seemed to be making it successful. And his master could see that. And then, And Joseph found favor in his eyes. This is an important phrase. And so he put him into service and placed him in charge of his household, placing in his hands everything that he owned. And now, it, like, you know, all of, these, all of these images, all of these phrases are important, but take a, take a look at, this is quite a line here. Verse five. And from the time that the Egyptian put him in charge of his household, al kol asher yeshlo, and everything that he owned, vayvarech Hashem et beit hamitzri biglal Yosef. The Lord, or I should say, I usually turn, turn that into the eternal. The eternal blessed his house for Joseph's sake. Vayhi birkat Hashem b'chol asher yeshlo, b'bayit uvasadeh. So that the blessing of the eternal was upon everything that he owned in the house and in the field. In the house, now lots of typos today, I'm sorry. And in the field, okay? And he left all that he had in Joseph's hands uh, with him there. He did not pay attention to anything except the food that he ate. Okay, now I read all of that with great emphasis and all of it very carefully because it's just, you know, it's a you know, dense little paragraph there, but in it is a kind of a template. And I want us to think about what's going on in this template. What's going on with Joseph? What does this tell us about Joseph? So let's just review what we're seeing here. And then I'll ask you to kind of, you know, pick it apart and try to make sense of it. But what, what are we seeing here? We're seeing that God was with Joseph. Now, first of all, what does that mean? What does that mean? God was with Joseph. The commentators have lots of different answers. Rashi says, um, Shem shagur bapiv. Oh, he was always talking about God. Because well, what else does it mean? Was God on his shoulder? Is God walking around with him? Right? It's like, okay, but God was with him. He was successful in everything that he did. And others could see it. Others could see God in Joseph, with Joseph, making Joseph successful, okay? People could see that. 
And their response is to put Joseph in charge. They put Joseph in charge of everything, of nearly everything, nearly everything. It's interesting. It's always almost everything that is Joseph is put. It's not always, it's not everything. It's almost everything. Okay. And then when they put Joseph in charge, everything is blessed because of Joseph. Okay. All right. So let's start. Let's, uh, I, we, we could just, we could run through this pattern and continue. We will continue to spot it as it, as it marches through the Joseph story, but we have it now. We have almost everything we need already right here. So now let's think about it. What is Joseph? <laughs> Who is Joseph? What kind of guy is this that commands this sort of uh, favor, right? That was the language that we saw that Joseph, and he found favor in his eyes. Okay, we're going to think a lot about that word, but what? What do you what do you just what do you make of this this character this kind of person okay so let's let's do some thinking around that Matt let's start with Matt um I'm struck here by God was with him but God never speaks to Joseph at least not directly not told that God speaks to Abraham speaks to the rest very directly but not to Joseph yet Joseph is personally this powerful, and certainly Jacob isn't. Jacob is, you know, and I think Abraham is a little more so, but but not in this level. You know, Joseph, as you're saying, has all this, you know, power and respect and stuff, and Jacob squirms around to, you know, to survive in the world, yet he's got God with him talking to him. And because this is somehow how he's, I almost see Joseph as among other things, he's a, a bridge to Moses because mm -hmm. Moses is going to put all of this together. He's going to mm -hmm. have God with him in constant conversation and all that power and all that leading. So it's like we've been given God talks to people. Here we've got somebody who's really impressive. Now we're going to end up with this guy who's got all of it. Okay, fascinating, fascinating observation. Very keen observation from Matt there. Joseph is it like walks with this divine aura around him. Joseph seems to, to we're, we're told explicitly that the Lord tells explicitly God is with him and seems to project that. And yet Joseph is not exactly a prophet. He doesn't receive direct communication from God. And it's especially striking because Joseph often says, oh, well, I'm not interpreting the dreams. God, and you tell me the dreams, and I will give you God's, inter God interprets the dreams. But we don't know where he's getting these interpretations. God doesn't, we don't read about God speaking into Joseph here. God doesn't speak to Joseph at all. So it's actually, there's something, Matt's noticing something really, really important and really striking here, which is that Joseph is in some ways more with God than anyone has been. And in some ways, doesn't speak to God at all in the ways that we are used to. There's something, in other words, it's something different about Joseph. He isn't a, a lone wandering prophet in the desert. No, instead, Joseph is a, well, eventually a politician, right? He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a dream interpreter. He's a, he's a leader, but that, that relationship with, with God is really interesting. And 
Um, I'll just say quickly that Matt also makes a connection that we will consider later, an important connection, which is that Joseph is paving the way for Moses, right? That's a, that's a good connection. There, those two figures are similar in all kinds of ways. Just to state the obvious, they're both, you know, Hebrews who are end up trapped in in Egypt, right? And then and then have to you know decide whether to advocate for their people. So lots of connections there. We'll think about that eventually. But Matt is noticing some of what is distinct about about Joseph. Let's continue to try uh, try to notice that. So let's start with uh, start up again with Rebecca. Um, I don't know if I have anything extremely insightful to share, but this is just really striking to me because um, Joseph seems like the most human of everyone that we've read so far. And Genesis is a story about humans and how messy we are, especially with our relationships. And I, I just am reminded of myself a lot in Joseph, and I would imagine a lot of people in this room are too. So we've been having a little chat about... <laughs> Is Joseph a brat because he's charming? Is he charming as a way to make up for his brattiness? And like, that is me. Like I have always called a brat. Like I've been very bratty, but also very charming. And I feel like, yeah, that has let me get away with a lot of stuff, especially in my youth um, that like maybe other people wouldn't be able to get away with. And, and in some ways that led adults in my life to maybe give me more responsibility than I should have had, that I was prepared to have. So the fact that like Joseph is kind of doing his own thing, maybe he's a brat, maybe he's a little schmarmy. He goes on to be a politician. So I'm sure he has that like in him, but like <laughs> he's just given everything. Like he's just given full responsibility of like running this household. Um, and it seems like, I don't know, I have a lot of sympathy for this guy. Like. Maybe he really isn't over his head and maybe he was just kind of trying to do the best with what he had and is, um, yeah, is just kind of in over his head with being just kind of favored, like just in some ways being favored. Anyone who was in, a, anyone who was a formerly gifted kid might realize like there's a little bit of a curse that goes along with that as well in terms of expectations and all of that. So I don't know. I just, I'm finding this very fascinating. Okay, I love all that. I really appreciate those comments from Rebecca because uh, there is something about Joseph that is, you know, all, all too human, surprisingly human. I mean, Joseph struggles with sexual tension and like, you know, bragging and there's things that are just so, you know, com complicated and, and human and, and, and maybe even a little... Um, a little uh, un unpleasant, but nevertheless, Rebecca suggests sometimes that's the way it is. That there's a certain kind of there's a certain kind of brat that is that is appealing. You know, there's a certain kind of there's a there's a there's a complex there's a there's a a complicated brew like a mix there between the parts of ourselves that can be a little much being the same parts of ourselves that are powerful and alluring to other people, right? I mean, think about, and let's think, um, let's make sure, um, especially now with uh, Rebecca's comments, to put this word right at the center of our conversation, because if there's one word that we should use to guide our thinking um, around Joseph today, it's the word um, um, that we've so far translated as charm. And the word in Hebrew is chen, chen. Okay, there it is. 
Joseph found, there are lots of ways to translate this. Favor, found favor in his eyes is just the easiest way to, to translate the phrase. But what is chen? Chen is sometimes translated as grace. Although sometimes it feels like Christians have a, a hold on that word. So we, we use it less. But grace or charm or even likability. Like chen is that quality that someone has that other people are drawn to. Okay, so now think again about Rebecca's description of like th that those things that we are that we are drawn to, which are nevertheless like the parts of a person that are a bit who has charm, who has here's another word charisma, charisma. Right, Joseph has a he's like dripping with charisma, and charisma, you know, as we use the word in, in English, is that's a that's a that's a complicated word that has positive and negative connotations, right? So Joseph has some of that 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 appeal, just that 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 shine on him. Okay, all right. Let's let's hear from other folks. David Kurtz. You know, I'll I'll take it in a little bit different direction. He feels like an empty vessel to me. Um, his destiny, everything that ha you know, people I've met are charming usually. It's not only a combination of the way they look and the way they act, but what they speak. And I don't see any of that except for how he's looking in Joseph. I'm, I see him as his vessel that his father sends him off on a journey, ends up in a pit. Everything just happens to him. And he has these dream, dreams and he transfers it. So he feels, I, I, I kind of go the other way with him. It, it feels more like an empty vessel to me, that there's a destiny there that he's not at all in controlling. But, Good. Okay, good. Thank you. Thanks for for reminding us for pointing that out so so clearly. There there is here we're you know, we're talking about what what it is about Joseph, but the story almost uh, almost asks us to think of it the opposite way that it wasn't anything about Joseph at all because God is with him. And God makes his hand successful. And if he has a certain kind of charm, maybe the way to read it just the the narrative itself, but also you know, and you know, there's a there's a there's a religious sensibility here that what it is that Joseph had was a way of projecting God's spirit into the world, and when Joseph is in charge of things, everything is blessed because God blesses those things. So, you know, J Joseph is D D David says like a vessel for God's radiance, charm, likability. Right. And maybe, maybe that's what Hain is in this tradition. Maybe Hain is a characteristic of, of, of projecting some divine quality out. Right. And we've said already, jo Joseph is, not, is, is like he'll give interpretations of dreams, but to give them in God's name. Right. He, you know, Rashi imagines he was always talking about God. So here he's this like charming person, but he, you know, gives it all, you know, all, all thanks to God. And that, that in itself is part of his dynamic. And David imagines, and maybe actually that's just what we ought to think of it as fate. Like he was just, he's a, he's a vehicle for, for God's will in the, in the story. Okay, good. Um, uh, let's keep going a little bit. But, um, but okay, so there we are back in the book of Genesis when Noah is the first person to have this quality of chen. So what does it mean? What does it mean, chen? Well, the commentary I liked the best 
is from the, the Ramban, who's a, uh, what is it now? 14th century, 14th no, 13th century Spanish commentator. And, um, and this is his definition of chen, okay? So we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll just, uh, you know, we've, we've translated a few ways, but here's a, here's a, here's a, here's one of the classic sages defining chen for us. Chen meaning that all his deeds were lovely and pleasant before God. Okay? Shehayu kol ma'asav lefanav na'im v'na'imim. Lovely and pleasant. Okay, think about that for a second. That's not righteous and good, but lovely, beautiful. There was something about the way he conducted himself. Joseph and Noah, the people with Cain, there's something about that they have where it's just, everything they do has a kind of grace is another word that we translate, right? A gracefulness. What is that quality that we sometimes admire in people that isn't exactly a virtue? Because it's not a it's not a moral quality, it's their grace, their 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 lovely way in the world, okay. And Joseph had that, okay. That's part of what we're looking at here, okay. And then the Ramban does a really interesting thing. This is back to Matt's connection earlier, right? Matt connected Joseph and Moses. And look at what the Ramban does here. Ramban wants to give us three examples of people who had this quality, this chen, okay? And here are the examples he gives. Likewise, we, found, we find other examples, for you have found favor in my eyes and I have singled you out by name. This is from Exodus. Who do you think God is talking to? Moses. Moses, exactly right. And similarly, and now this one's from our story. Now, now you know, uh, the Ramban is commenting on Noah, but he makes the connection to Joseph and the eternal placed his favor in the eyes of the chief jailer. Okay, we just saw that. And then finally, and Esther carried favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Okay, interesting examples. Moses, Joseph, Esther. Okay, three people with chen, three people with charm, with grace, with charisma. Now, those three people are connected in very deep ways, right? These are all orphans or estranged from their family, people who are placed into dangerous foreign territory and nevertheless rise up and become a leader, okay? Joseph is a prelude to Moses, and Esther is an echo of both of them, okay? So those figures are all connected. So now we've really got our eye, thanks to the, to the Ramban here, we've really got our eyes on a certain kind of quality. And so in these last 10 minutes, let's ask the, uh, once again the question, what was that quality? What is that quality that makes Joseph who he is, that makes Moses who he is, that makes Esther who she is? Okay, and I don't know, think of some contemporary examples. Like I, I, you know, lahavdil, as you say, when you, you speak of holy and then profane things, but, you know, I think of Bill Clinton a little bit this way. Like they used to make jokes about like, just walking into a room and just like, just bathing in people's adulation, right? Like, what is it that certain people, it's a, and it's not all good charisma, don't get me wrong, but it's a thing, it's a thing. So what is that thing? Okay, um, let's hear from um, Devin, who just uh, just spotted our 
our NOAA pattern for us? Um, so Hen is something that I wish that I had. To me, it's when you have like such an intense faith that it allows you to be calm. And so to me, it's it has a lot to do with mindfulness. And it also has a lot to do with like the idea of like once we can be mindful and calm, then it becomes contagious and it helps other people be, become mindful and calm too. But I almost view it as like a skill of having super, super deep faith that allows a person to be calm. So, and again, I wish I had that. I wish I had it too. Thank you, Devin, because that that's a that's a really interesting and helpful formulation because it connects some of the some of the it connects some of the 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 the, the thoughts that we that we covered earlier, David, uh, David Kurtz's in particular, that there's something about Joseph that after all is a kind of a vessel for God's power. Certainly the way jo Joseph talks about it. And as Devin describes it, it's like, yeah, he thing, he he was um, comfortable in himself because he was completely perhaps faith, trusting and he let God guide him. And maybe that's part of the lesson here is to be, to truly manifest this kind of radiance, you have to be a person of faith. You have to give yourself over to the, to the higher force and let that force move through you, right? I think that's actually a lot of what um, charisma means. And, and the, when we talk about charismatic, you know, it's about channeling a kind of power, right? Being able to tap into a certain kind of power. And that is certainly one way to think about Joseph is that he was actually a person who was so um, given over to the divine spirit that it was, it was obvious in him. You could see it in him. That, as we'll soon see, is what Pharaoh ends up saying about Joseph. I've never seen anyone like this, Asher Ruach Elohimbo, that the spirit of God is in him, okay? So very, very nice, very, very helpful. Um, let's hear from Kathy. Yeah, this yeah, is, this yeah, is, this yeah, is. Oh, you're you're on both. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you're gonna have to mute one of your screens. Are you muted? Ah, uh, boy. Sorry. Oh, Hal's going uh, to address it. Okay, can you hear me? This Look at Hal racing over to mute the screen. Mute the screen, Hal. Yeah, we can okay, hear you. Just a okay, I think. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, Give it to us, Kathy. Okay. Well, the thing is, the, 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 mm, we're gonna have to pass over soon. I'm just thinking about this. Just turn it on. Okay. Well, now where's Kathy? Oh no, no, Kathy. Now you have to unmute. <laughs> Much talking about ah, this kind are. of. This meaning of Hain, uh, and you know, this sort of likability or charm is starting to feel. Before this last comment by Devin, it was starting to feel, you know, kind of superficial. And I understand that sort of side of it, because not everybody gets Hain. You know, um, uh, you know, it is some. It's favor. It's something sort of special. But the thing is, is that you know, we we're always asking for it. It's like sim shalom, and you know. The Hain Vahesed Varachamim, and they're all sort of put together. And I've always kind of wondered, they're different. These things are different that we're asking for. They're all kind of related. They're all these, you know, in the priestly blessing, we ask for, for grace. We ask for Hain, mm -hmm. right? 
Vihunaha, <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's something I think that goes beyond that kind of likability, super, you know, which can sort of sound superficial. And I do think it maybe has to do with that, like you say, that vessel for, um, or, well, goodness or divinity or something like that. Because the other place that obviously kind of calls out to me is uh, Hannah, you know, that her name is Hain and that she is this kind of, you know, talk about a vessel for faith and that kind of communication. And so anyway, I, I it's both a comment, but it's also a question, you know, sort of like, you know, how is Hain different from um, Rachamim and Hesed? I mean, I've always, I guess I've always seen it as like not everybody gets Hain. You know, we all get Hesed, right? Everybody gets Hesed, whether you deserve it or not. And and I and so, but I don't know Hain. Maybe you don't you don't always get. Uh, um, and uh, and I wonder too about whether you only get Hain if you deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, you that you have to, you know, to get Hain, you have to kind of be something special. Anyway, it's kind of a question. Okay. All right. That's really interesting, right? And I that, I've been thinking since you said, you know, we say we ask for for God's Hain. May God be Hanun, right? May God be compassionate, but also grant gr- graceful towards us, right? Just like we ask for God's peace and God's kindness, but we also ask for God's Hain. And it makes me think that maybe part of what was special about Joseph and what's special about those of us who have pain, you know, you know, my boss, dare I say, is that you feel a little bit, maybe you feel a little bit of God's flow from them. You know, their radiance, it feels divine. And you're, it's as if you're getting a little, a little of that divine radiance. Right. And so there's something about the people who are imbued as Joseph was with with Hain that like it's like they're they are a channel for God's Hain, which not of all, all of us seem to have access to. Like very, very, very intriguing. All right. Just um uh, I'm gonna call on Payam if you can give us a, a quick one, one last thought. I see a connection between Hain and narcissism in that God saw himself in these people and he fell in love with himself and i think you know people who have chain other people see the best of themselves in them and fall in love with themselves like the narcissist story good okay good that's a nice um last sort of thought to have hanging in the air because it isn't all you know it isn't all nice and good and tidy for joseph um from here on out there's we saw joseph start with interfamilial tension and conflict, right? Because it seemed like whatever channeling he was doing, he was doing it in a way that seemed too self-congratulatory. And Joseph will soon rise to, to great power and there too will use his power in ways that sometimes seem to be self-preserving or self-serving, right? So this quality in Joseph that is so um, attractive, that is so appealing is also it's a it's it's um it's a it's potentially a dangerous quality and we're going to have to figure out how Joseph is going to hold it how Joseph is going to handle this thing that he just he can't seem to help 
um, projecting. And um, we'll just end by looking. We looked. We saw this pattern, right? Began with Potiphar, and then the chief jailer, and then, of course, that pattern, of course, is just a setup for the ultimate moment of Joseph's reign, uh, which is when he's presented before the Pharaoh. And you can see once again that the plan was good in Pharaoh's eyes. Eyes have been with us all along, right? It's always been that, that Joseph finds favor in someone's eyes, in someone's eyes. It's always about the way that Joseph is seen by other people. So the plan was good in Pharaoh's eyes and in the eyes of all of his courtiers. And Pharaoh said to his royal servants, could we find another like him, a man with the spirit of God in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's none so discerning and wise as you. And wouldn't you know it, you shall be in charge of my house. And by your command shall all my people be directed. You'll be in charge of almost everything. Only with respect to the throne shall I be superior to you. So there's that, there's that quality, that quality of Cain that once again repeats the pattern. This time kept catapulting Joseph all the way to the top echelons of power. And, uh, and with that, the Joseph story is off and running, and we will continue with it again next week. Thanks, everybody. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.